welcome to Pretty Good Business. Our guest today is Nika Diamond Crandall, founder of the leather goods brand Paradise Row. In this episode, we talk about finding the right partners and the importance of saving traditions and savoir faire. Hello, Nika, how are you? Oh, hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well. So you are the founder of a fantastic brand that's called Paradise Row. Can you tell us more about it? Uh, yes, um, I started Paradise Row in 2017 um, from my apartment while I was living in East London. It started as a very small um, leather bags brand and now we've grown into three collections, three handbag collections and also now evolved into a general leather goods brand which expands over interiors, tableware and stationery. We've also been featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar for uh, luxury um, eco bags that you need to know about and uh, we've been stocked at uh, amazing places uh, such as Fortnum Mason Fennec and Bond Street, uh, Burger from Goodman in New York. Amazing. So what did you do before you started Paradise Row? I, I was a management consultant. I studied psychology and a master's in business psychology. And now it's, gosh, it's coming a decade ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and naturally, I fell into kind of a graduate job, which was management consultancy. And I could... I, thought I could uh, use my knowledge in business psychology in that. I absolutely loved it. Then I decided to go in-house for a bank um, at Santander and really try and use my skills to drive a business forward. But at that time, I felt a bit, it felt a bit flat. Um, there was too much kind of politics going on with the bank. And actually, I felt that I had so much to give and things weren't moving or shifting and I won a com- competition at Santander where it was I think it hundreds of employees had applied um, for a new mobile app design and I decided to design a children's money saving app and I won um, out of like so many people even senior members and that was kind of like, you know, when the penny dropped and I was like, I definitely need to create something and I've got the skills for it. It's time to venture on my own. So is that what, you, what pushed you to start the business? You felt kind of stuck? Yes, it, it all came at the same time, really. I was living in East London in Bethnal Green. I was super inspired about all the creativity going on in the area, like from design brands to tech startups and there was a real kind of I don't know this like powerful energy where like there was just so many things are being created um and also that happened at the same time was feeling kind of restricted within my job but when the real moment came was the idea was when I was reading about the history about East London I learned that it was a huge textile and manufacturing area and this has completely dwindled in the last 50 years brands like Jimmy Choo, Anya Himmarsh they all started from East London now they've become global brands and I was like well how come they're not making in London anymore and what's going on and 
I found out that there was like hundreds of businesses related to the leather industry and now there's only a couple left and I mm. was like well this is this is what I want to do this is I want to partner with one of these few workshops left and try and preserve mm-hmm. that London craftsmanship that's globally known create a brand a London brand that's that's made in London and not elsewhere we don't really think about how because we usually do think about how in certain places in the world you know the 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 craftsmanship is is dying but actually it's very very close to home that these things are Mm. happening the leather in London is the linen in France for example all this really strong assets that we used to have in Europe and really close to home are getting lost and we unfortunately don't really think about it yeah uh, people especially big brands they don't recognize the kind of impact they have on an area so if they move a whole manufacturing to a completely different area the social impact of that is huge you mm-hmm. you um, remove jobs and so people have to look elsewhere for a similar trade which is not that common and so they might move out completely move out of the town or the city and so they're separated from their families then communities are completely dispersed that are made up of these industries and so the kind of social consequences are uh, quite dramatic so you were in quite of a steady comfy job before so what was the process like and where did you start from when you started Paradise Row? Oh gosh, <laughs> um, I think if I say this, not many people are going to believe it, but it actually did happen. You know, this whole in manufacturing industry—it's not online. It's not accessible. It's—it's it's just nowhere to be seen. And you know, you can Google it, and you still can't—you still can't find any information on it, even this day and age. I literally walked down Brick Lane because I knew there was a lot of leather wholesalers there and uh, knocked from door to door saying, hi, do you know any leather manufacturers? Can you recommend me to someone? And they were like, yes, speak to this person there, speak to this person there. So it was a bit of a, it was like a six month goose chase before I came across the right workshop. And they all know each other, and it's all through word of mouth, but anyone outside of the industry has no clue anything, uh, and, and the information isn't accessible at all. So I literally went knocking around on doors in Brick Lane to, to start the process. So what did you choose leather goods? Do you choo- did you choose them just because you realized that there was something was missing, or... Do you kind of did you kind of have an attachment to to leather goods in particular? I was super inspired by the story. I was super inspired by the area, the fact that I was living in this incredible area that had so much kind of leather history, where like even the roads are called Tanner Street, Tanner Yard, Leather Lane, and and then there's this kind of new creative energy that I was talking about the industry wasn't there and I was like oh my god and I was reading this article that you know these few remaining workshops they're the kind of surviving and not really thriving and also 
they're at a huge threat, huge risk of completely closing down. There would be no industry whatsoever. So that completely inspired me um, because I was like, well, there's there's something that I can I can do here and grow and evolve and maybe as the brand grows, it also has a social impact because I didn't want to do a brand for the sake of just making a brand. There has to be kind of a social element to it. And then the other kind of side of the coin was I was really passionate about luxury brands and leather is seen as the ultimate luxury. You know, when you think about leather brands, you think about Hermes, Louis Vuitton, and I kind of wanted that for London, um, especially with its past history. Um, people all over the world came to London to buy leather satchels and leather shoes. And for some reason, this industry didn't keep up with um, the changes and trends and so on. So yeah, those, those those were the two main reasons why I went into leather, and I absolutely love it. It's such a versatile material; it can be used for anything, and so your creativity is limitless. Leather is also quite a controversial material when we talk about uh, sustainability. So, but of course, everything has nuances, and there are ways to actually produce leather goods in a sustainable way. So how do you usually respond to criticism? Because your brand is considered a sustainable brand. It's considered a sustainable brand mainly because I am supporting craftsmanship in the community and, and with the two workshops I work with in East London. But as a bonus, the we use the best quality type of leather. We use uh, vegetable tan leather from a local wholesaler. And vegetable tan leather is basically how they used to make leather back in the day before the mass producing of leather. It was, uh, you know, they dig pits deep into the ground, put the leather in and uh, as in the animal skin in and then also add on top nature's like vegetation such as box, leaves, trees, berries and then over time, over months, this naturally con- like converts the animal skin into leather. Now, 90% of leather is not vegetable tanned leather. It's um, chromium tanned leather. So this is chemicals to convert the animal skin into, into leather. And if this is mismanaged, so if these chemicals are mismanaged, they're damaged. Uh, it's damaging to the environment um whereas vegetable tan leather it's a lot more slower process and it also uses nature's own vegetation to produce that leather what would you say people should look for if for example they want to purchase um a leather piece a leather goods and they want to make sure that they they're getting something that is sustainable like how how do we how do how do what do we look at to see if things are made in the right way? Uh, yeah, I mean, vegetable tan leather doesn't feel plasticated. Like it's it it feels really really soft and supple, and it wears beautifully over time. 
I guess you'll only realize when you touch vegetables and leather um, to see that difference. And often the other side of like the kind of sustainable conversation is that mass producing leather seasonally is not it's not sustainable because these are being produced for a season and then it's like oh that was so two years ago a year ago you know it's now out of trend where with paradise rose ethos these collections are here to last for forever so you know there's no kind of oh this is the bad collection for this season each collection brought out is an addition to its current existing collections Mm -hmm. It's not a replacement of. And if you look for brands that just have the same collection for years on end, that is sustainable in itself because it's not kind of like switching and chopping and changing every season. So, And also leather, of course, is biodegradable when it's vegetable tan leather in a fairly short amount of time on, in the big scheme of things. Yeah. So you told you told us how you choose the partners and everything else, but how long did it take to actually, you know, create the first product? God, uh, it's the sample probably took about a year. Which one? Yeah. Which one was your first? The first, the first collection was the core collection, mm. and basically what my brand was is is about. It's about using all the qualities of an old school British leather goods brand, which you see kind of like the vegetable town leather, kind of the satchel shape. And um, the leather is so beautiful that you don't even need lining inside. You show the raw leather inside. and But then it's freshened up and looks contemporary because it's paired with gold hardware. And it's also design-led so the the design is inspired by well all my collections are inspired by different aspects of society so the core collection was actually inspired by East London and uh, you know because the brand was born there so I wanted to tell East London's story through my bags and in that way it's kind of like a piece of art so it's it's not just for practical senses but it's a, a piece that you want to to show off and so that that design took about a year to come uh, to come up with it with it as a sample so we've been doing this for a couple of years now so what would you say you learned during the process of building a sustainable business i think it's very important to be constantly in conversations with bodies and publications and different people about sustainability I think to always be in the know is is important I think the term sustainability is trending but people still don't know quite how much about sustainability so you could be sustainable in terms of supporting your local workshop you could be sustainable in terms of your material you could be sustainable in terms of being s- slow production and having handmade production. For businesses, it's very difficult to be in s- sustainable in all, s- all aspects. You almost have to pick and choose and focus. But as long as you're a brand that's actually 
making an impact in some way, whether it's through their community or through the environment or through the economy, it, you you are making impact. So I think as long as you are always trying to kind of evolve and year on year trying to do better in sustainability, I think that is also good enough. I think I am lucky that I've started a brand which because I'm small and nimble I'm able to be decide like well you know the collections are going to be once a year and they're going to be additional they're not going to be seasonal Mm. and I the collections are going to be handmade and not mass produced because I have less to lose than the the bigger brands Mm -hmm. and also to you know to use the the best quality leather again because that's such a high cost and that's a high cost for brands as well big brands so in that way I'm incredibly lucky to like start from scratch in terms of being a sustainable brand where I think a lot of big brands these changes are quite slow because they're literally changing a whole huge system and operation Mm. um so I think I guess like what I've learned about this process is always to be in the know have conversations with everyone from like leather agents to the press to 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 bodies to round tables and always trying to every year trying to improve and um on your sustainable practices Mm. and not to be discouraged if it's only like a certain part of your business that's sustainable rather than the whole part Mm -hmm. and as you were saying before it's so important now to really have a human impact as well I think with this year that we we had with the pandemic and everything we really understood the power of community and how really helping your community can really change things because we were so passionate about our local community from the beginning of the brand that as soon as the pandemic happened the establishments that inspired that first collection I was talking about um, the East London establishments which many of them are charities as soon as the pandemic happened we decided to sell our uh, kind of have a sample sale of some of our products were kind of factory seconds and therefore give a hundred percent of any of those sales of those proceeds to these establishments and charities that inspired the collection in the first place so that is kind of another kind of positive that if you build on those relationships from the beginning when something like this happens like a pandemic you're in a position to help out Mm -hmm. quite immediately and do you think that people are kind of understanding and embracing sustainability and the help of a community more after I mean we're still in it but after the 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 pandemic I think so I think the intention is there but at the end of the day it is is still driven by consumer behavior and I I think people don't quite realize that like everything they spend on everything they decide to spend on will have an impact and I I think it's a very difficult decision because you know you see something on sale from a big brand you want to buy it you, it's very difficult to be conscious all the time but you know it's 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 important to keep having that conversation that narrative going but yeah I think people definitely 
are thinking about it, but I'm not sure if it's quite yet going into their main consumer behavior, maybe just a little bit from time to time. I mean, it's so hard to, when when you are bombarded literally with um, ads and with discounts all the time, it, it, it's quite hard to, to, because you still have to kind of go and search for the sustainable option. You, you know, yeah. small brands don't have as much space in magazines. They don't have as much space in, you know, you know even the big influencers um, and even the small ones, to be honest, they kind of tend to, kind of tend to see more bigger brands or quite low quality brands being advertised to us in a way or another. So it's, it's also that exactly people need to really go and search for this kind of brands like yours instead of just having it thrown at them. Exactly. Um, and also, like, what people are not discussing is, like, to be able to shop sustainabil- sustainably, you have to be in a position of privilege. Like, some people don't have the choice to shop sustainably. There is a huge huge cost for brands to be sustainable some encompasses like handmade products or you know a small production these are a big cost to brands and therefore they have to sell it at a higher price not everyone can afford that it is a bit of a vicious circle because it's like it is driven by consumer behavior but at the same time it's up to to the brands to also provide the option how do you see after this year, and of course all the transformation you had to have in your company, um, how do you see the future of your company for the next couple of years? Leather, as I said, is very versatile, obviously, in a material. But now, even more so as a product, is versatile. So, I mean, it is very coincidence, coincidentally that it happened. But we launched our studio collection this year. So it was our first collection that wasn't a handbag collection. It's a 20 product range, ranging from tableware to dining and um, kitchenware and home interiors, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. And I think over the next few years, a lot of people will be focusing on their home, um, their kind of surroundings and their environment more so than going out as much. Even though you know, when, when the world starts to go back to normal and, you know, we come out of this pandemic, I think it will be a kind of slow progress to like going out all the time. And I think people have a different, will have a different perspective about balancing their home life and going out life and et cetera. So it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to now to like pivot and just expand our design and aesthetic to other sorts of goods rather than handbag collections and kind of show our luxury brand in different forms um, such as like for example in the kitchen a leather apron cutlery pouches wine bottle holder placemats and so you can have a bit of paradise row at your home and so that's where I'm seeing the brand going. Mm. Um, we do quite a few collaborations with well-known establishments such as uh, we've done one with uh, Peter Jim Nurseries and 
Sogram Wild and Town Hall Hotel. And for me, I absolutely love doing projects with other brands. It kind of fuels my creativity and this kind of trickles down into the brand and into the direct consumer products. So I will be continuing doing these projects and probably growing the volume of projects I've been doing. So it kind of re-emphasizes that Paradise Row is a design brand and it's not just selling product, but it does designers, it designs projects for these big brands and corporations. So definitely that's, that's where it'll be going in the next few years. So would you say you have a project or a product or an achievement that you are the most proud of until now? Oh, gosh, I'm actually proud of everything. <laughs> I love all the collections. I guess I use the Pearly, which is our bestseller. It's a classic. It's made of black bubble leather and it has a pearl charm on top. And it's just, you know, a couple of years later, it's still our bestseller. And I'm just very proud of that design that is completely timeless. How do you keep inspired and how do you find new ideas? You know, even, for example, when you had to kind of like be confronted to the reality of a pandemic and you had to pivot a bit, how did you kind of find the ideas? When I think of collections and um, inspirations for products, I do not look at the trends going around me. I have to go a kind of a bit out of the box and just taking what's going on in the environment around me rather than what's actually trending. So the first collection I said was based on East London, where the brand was born. Each charm has a different bag that represents these institutions of East London. The second collection was is based on psychology and human behavior, and each bag has a design of a different human emotion, which... It's five emotions in total, which I believe that make you an empathetic person. The third collection is about the role of the female in, in the arts and how it's been portrayed in the arts. And that collection came around at the B2 movement, coincidentally. And so, and then again, the, the, the studio collection was more about kind of making your surroundings feel a bit more refined and luxury luxurious and, and and beautiful and that happened at the same time as the pandemic so I have this kind of feeling where I'm absorbing the environment around me rather than looking at specific fashion trends which then drives my ideas and my designs for the collections. Do you feel like since you've been working on Paradise Road do you feel like you you feel happier going to work and you know getting on with it every day yes I mean I I never have the dread of work but that's not to say it's incredibly tough to run a business especially with so many obstacles up against you the the manufacturing dwindling and it's still dwindling um the pandemic the brexit Mm. you know I'm I'm just a very small business and that can also be quite debilitating in some ways and you're kind of basically saying well sometimes maybe it's easier to just be in a less um, stressful job 
Mm-hmm. However, this provides me every day with inspiration. And I think as humans, we need that thing every day to like work towards, to grow, to nurture. Um, and I think that is the ultimate true happiness when you're working on something and, and, and have a goal towards. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there is a kind of, there's positives and negatives. It depends what, what kind of um, lifestyle you want. But I'm definitely happier because I'm inspired every day. So last but not least, is there an advice that you would give a business owner or someone who wants to start a business and wants to make sure that their business are sustainable and, you know, ethical? Is there anything you wish you knew when you started that you would tell them? Something that I wish I knew, I um, basically, I started and I launched with no contacts in the industry, no network, no community. And I think that's very difficult because you've launched a brand and then you're kind of acquiring like people to like know about your brand and follow your brand. Whereas it would be good to talk about the idea and build your community and your net industry network prior. So when you launch, you have that instant support rather than just launching and then building the support. Thank you so much for your time. Can you tell us where we can find you? So Instagram and everything else. Yes. So our Instagram handle is paradise.row. And uh, we've just launched our new website on paradiserowlondon.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was our interview with Nika. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Nika for her time. If you like this episode, please rate us and subscribe. It really helps. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram at prettyslow.life and prettyslowlife on all of the platforms. Thank you and goodbye.